Yo, this is Pastor Tito here, your podcast pastor, welcoming you to another episode of my revolutionary podcast where I'm here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. And we've been doing a series called Truth Over Trends as we've been looking at specific areas, specific topics on how as believers, as Jesus followers, can we follow through in our life? And this week, the one thing that has been, I mean, literally conquering, taking all the attention in the news and in social media is everything that's been happening in Cuba. And then raising again the question, what is the way, what is the proper way that even as Christians should we respond to government, especially evil ones. And so God has something to say about that. So let's look and dive in and see what God has to say. Now I know it's past July 4th, but we're still in July month. And I thought that video was very fitting, not just for the month, but especially what we've been seeing throughout the world the last few months, the last year or so, especially even this week. I mean, it can get overwhelming. Have you guys seen what is happening in South Africa? That's if you don't know, you need to know. Have you seen what has been happening in, in Hong Kong, in Venezuela, right? Obviously here in America, we've seen things. Cuba this last week is the one that's really been taking, you know, the, the attention, right? We've seen so much. And I thought as we've been doing a series, and this is what I really felt, as we've been doing a series here on Sundays the last couple of months, if this is your first time logging on or visiting or first time in a while, we've been doing a series called Truth Over Trends, and we've been looking at examining a topic and seeing what is the truth of God regarding this and comparing it to what we see in the world or the trends that we see or the whatever that opposite is. And I had, out of all the weeks that I had prepped and planned, there was one week that I just didn't know what to talk about. I'm going to be real. It was the one for this week. And when I saw everything happening, I'm like, you know, this is a great opportunity to be able to talk on something specific. And so the question we're going to answer today is, what does God have to say about some of the things that we're seeing? But more in particular, more specifically, what does God have to say about resisting government? That is an important topic and an important truth that we need to look at. And so I'm going to read to you Romans 13. We're going to go right through. This is our anchor text for the day. Romans 13, 1 through 7. God does have something to say. And God revealed something to the apostle Paul. And Paul is relaying it to the church in Rome. And here's what he says. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities. Since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it being government will bring judgment on themselves for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have its approval for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on those who does wrong. So therefore you must submit, not, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes since the authorities are God's servant continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes. Tolls to those you owe tolls. 
respect to those you owe respect and honor to those you owe honor. So you look at that verse and it almost sounds like when it comes to what we're seeing, when it comes to resisting government, it almost sounds like the truth that God is declaring is do nothing, isn't it? That's what it sounds like. That's what Paul said, submit to. And remember, you got to understand, let's look at the context. Who is Paul talking to? The church in Rome. He's writing this to the Romans. If you guys know a little bit of history, I mean, the Roman Empire had great stuff, gave us a lot of great things. Roman Empire had some cool stuff, but the Roman Empire was, uh, you know, it was, it was that big bully on the block during that time. And he is telling them, the Roman Christians, when it comes to your relationship with the Roman Empire, submit to Caesar, submit to Rome, don't resist, because that's sinning against God. So it almost sounds like when it comes to us in government, we're supposed to do nothing. Do you know that that's how some Christians, they read that? That's how some pastors for years, they've taught that. But see, the thing is this, the truth when you look at all the context of, of everything that, would, that God has revealed through Paul and the whole scripture, we actually see that what Paul is trying to say here is not to do nothing. Paul is trying to tell the Christians then and the spirit of the living God for us today, you got to do the right thing, not nothing, the right thing. And what is that right thing? Well, that's, let's kind of really look and break this down. So again, look at context. We just read Romans 13, right? Romans, the whole book of Romans is awesome. I want to encourage you, if you haven't read it or haven't heard it in a while, man, get on it. Read the whole thing in one shot. And let me give you a, a really synopsis on how this book is organized, because this part is important. So Romans 11, 1 through 11, the first 11 chapters, is Paul talking about one thing, what Jesus did for us on the cross. He spends 11 chapters talking about that you and I are all sinners, and the wages of our sin is death. And because of this, Jesus died on the cross for us so that we can be saved. And there is no longer no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you have your sins forgiven, every time you might slip or fall, you know you can rejoice at God. All of those things have been covered by the blood of Jesus. There is not, so he spends 11 chapters highlighting, look at what Jesus has done for us. And then in chapter 12, he shifts gears. From chapter 12 on, for the rest of Romans, Paul does one thing. He says, all right, guys, now that you know what Jesus has done, this is how we should live. What you do from now on should be marked by what Jesus did. And so in chapter four, he talks about giving our life a sacrifice to God, you know, submitting to this amazing God that he might transform us. In chapter 12, he talks about the Christian ethic on how we're supposed to not respond to evil with evil, but to love. And so many amazing things in chapter 12, he's just beating the drum. God loves us and has called us now to love, to reflect the love of Jesus in all that we do. And he ends chapter 12 with this amazing statement. He says, do not be conquered by evil. Do not let evil conquer you, but rather conquer evil with good. That's how he ends chapter 12. Do not be conquered by evil. Don't let the things of this world and the abuses and the negative things, don't let those things conquer you, control you, corrupt you, corrupt the good thing that God has done in us. No, you conquer these things. You and I are, con you and I are to conquer evil. How? 
through good. Conquer evil with good. And good is not our good deeds. He spent 11 chapters talking about what is good. And what is good? The love of God. We are supposed to conquer evil by the goodness of God. I mean, you can't conquer evil out in the world if you don't let the goodness of God conquer the evil in your heart. That's where it starts here. That's where it starts here. You let the good God conquer your heart and then you guard that. So immediately when he says conquer evil with good, the next sentence, chapter 13, submit to government and don't resist. So see, he's trying to tell him, here's the right thing to do. Not do nothing, do the right thing. But that sounds weird though, right? Let's be real. We know history. We see the news. We know that not all governments are positive and great and do awesome things. We know that. So then how do we take this and that and combine it together? Well, again, Paul uses this word submit a lot. If you've been watching it, if you've been hanging out with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we use that word submit. A couple of weeks ago, when it came to our relationship in, in marriage or between men and women, we are called to submit to one another right? He used that same word submit. And that word submit means, listen, you got to respect the roles and the rights of other someone else. So men, when the husbands submit to the wives, husbands are submitting and recognizing you have a role and responsibility and worth and value that I can't do and you must operate in. And women, when, they, when wives submit to husbands, they are doing so respecting that the husband has a role and a right and a responsibility that she can do. So it's mutual submission. Same word that we see in the church when he says that the congregation should submit to its leaders. Like you're, you have leaders for a reason. You have to, you know, parents, uh, parents and kids, same thing. Honor your father and mother. You know what that is? That's submitting kids, submitting in honor to the mother and the father. That's leadership there. And it's the same principle when it comes to this. Submit to the leadership. Do you guys know that God is the one? I know maybe not everybody, you know, politics not, might not be your thing. But do you guys know that government, the idea, the idea of civil government is God's idea? I mean, there are three kinds of governments in the world that God has instituted. It's the family government between the mother and the father, right, and the children, all right? And then there's the, the government of the faith, the congregation, the family. There is a, a role that church family has rights and roles and responsibilities that must operate in. And then there's civil government, and God has instituted this. This is why he gave and, and would help with the Jewish people with the law and helping them, because listen, as we interact with each other, we kind of need to agree on the set of rules that, in which we're going to operate in, right? So laws are important. Those kind of interactions are important. But, but what does it mean when, 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 when there's abuse and this and that, and so we're going to get there. But the one thing you need to understand first is this idea. When he says submit to a church, he's trying to get them to understand an important thing that we as Christians need to also be very careful with. The church must submit to the civil government, meaning there are a lot of times, and there's Christians that are out there, look, very much, sometimes there are those who push and promote within the church that what we need is to control, we need power in Washington, D.C. We need power in civil government in order to accomplish God's will in this earth. No, we got all the power that we need in God himself. We do not need the state to fulfill God's kingdom mandate, okay? So that is a very important thing because every time you have a mix of church and state together, it doesn't work. In human history, all the time, any abuse, Christian abuses that you've seen attributed to the Christian faith, it was when, when the Roman state took over the church and that's, it got nasty. That's why we call it the dark ages. 
And so what does that mean? That so God right there is enforcing a principle that even our founders believed in about separation of church and state, meaning the church has a role and a function that the government, it's, theirs is different. And the separation means that one cannot manipulate or one cannot control the other. That's what that means, the separation of. Oh, and by the way, that phrase, Thomas Jefferson wrote it in a letter to a, a pastor of a Baptist church. I believe it was a Baptist church back in the day. And he was writing and says, hey, we got this new government. All right, but yo, we're a little nervous. And so he's like, no, don't worry. Because the way we've built the system, there's a kind of separation of church and state. And the way that you usually hear it is the flip side. The reason why there's a separation of church and state is to protect the state from the church. It's garbage, okay? Small cap all over that. All right, it's wrong. All right, it's false. Because the thing was is there, even though there's a meant to be separation of church and state, there should never be separation between God and government. None. Do you guys hear even Paul? He likes saying the government authorities are God's servant. That's how government should see themselves as servants of God. Because why? They are in charge and responsible for overseeing people. And God loves people. And governments are supposed to celebrate the good and punish the bad according to who? According to God's standards. So they have a role and responsibility. So Paul is trying to get this church, hey, you guys want to change the world? You don't need to start in the, you don't need to start in Rome. No, we have, you don't need that. So he's submitting to that thing. Oh, and by the way, the whole separation of church and state is to protect the church from the state. Because the second the, the state can come in and control the, control the church and control religious institutions, you can control people like that. So that's what that is for, is to protect any religious institution from government overreach. That's, and it's important because there's a separation there that needs to happen. But Paul is trying to beat this in and saying, guys, we're, as Christians, we are called to be different. If we want to make a difference, you got to be different. If you want to make a difference, you got to be different. And we are made different by the love of God. And we don't do any engagement that we have with government should not be so consumed with a power grab because that's what the world does. The world, when they resist government and it resists this, what do they do? Usually it's all to topple one and slip in a different system. Paul says, no, not like that. That's not what we're called to do. We're not here to take that over. We don't need that. We're not here to reform society as our goal. We're here to redeem souls. That is our, that is our priority. That's our focus. And so we are not here to do a power grab because in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, we have all the power that we need. We don't need that. We don't need that. So we got to make sure we stay in our lane. And so when he says submit and resist, that's what he's saying is like, listen, they got a job to do. You got yours and you don't need that to accomplish God's kingdom mandate. Because guys, you cannot, last time I checked, you can't legislate people to love each other. You can't legislate heart change. If we could... We would have done it a long time ago. You can't change the person on the inside from the outside like that. No, it change happens from the inside out. And that's what the gospel does. That's what God does. He changes people from the inside out. And so did you guys catch? He gave two reasons why as a church, we got to balance this. Number one, wrath. And number two, your conscience. So obviously when he says wrath, what does he mean? He's talking about being punished, thrown in jail, persecuted, this and that. 
And so he's like saying, listen, don't just go out there and start breaking whatever law. It's like, oh, we, we have no king but Jesus. Forget you, Caesar, you know, and we're going to do whatever. I don't have to obey any of your laws because I got a new king and I got a new kingdom. So forget your laws. And then you get in trouble for being, you know, all kind of rebellious and stuff because you reject all form of government like that. Oh, no, Paul says, no, no, not like that. It's too far. Not like that. He says, because you're going to get this down. And, and, and when he says the good conscience, this is the important one. He says, look, you don't want to live your life in a kind of way as believers that you now feel guilty or ashamed because of what you've done. Remember, he said earlier, you respond to evil, not with evil, but with what, guys? With good. And so you don't want to be a believer who's here. You see wickedness and you see mistreatment. And then what do you do? But start, you know... Ah, and so all the, you know, saying and doing and, and hurting and, and, and all this other stuff that in the end you got to repent of. You're like, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. I kind of lost it. Um, forgive me. I feel so guilty. For, no, he says, look, we ought to live in a way. And this should be, and Ashley said this earlier as we, were, as we were worshiping. She was like saying, God, may we have a holy heart, holy desires to live for you. So we don't live in a kind of way that we constantly have this sense of shame. Like, man, I just can't get this right. So he says, have a good conscience. Because guys, listen, as believers, we are, so we are called to guard our testimony. You guys know that one of the biggest complaints that people have is not with Jesus, not with Christ, but with Christians, the inconsistent ones, the fake ones. Look, I'm going to be real. Some of y'all got a lot of, I'm with you on that. But listen, we got some, we got some suspects that, you know, they got the jersey on, but they're not on the team. I'm just going to be real. All right. They got the jersey on, but they're not on the team. But we, gotta, but we know that, don't we? And as believers, because we know we got people that got the jersey on and aren't on the team, we need to do our best. We can't control that. All you and I can do is control us. And so the more that we live, we live in a kind of way that people see, oh, hold on. See, there's uh, some Christians that are like, hmm, I don't know, but these guys, okay, these guys, they're different. That's, that's what I want. That's my heart for, for, for you. When people look to you and say, you know, there's something different about you. Something different about you. Great. That's how we glorify God, reflect God in that way. And so we have to have a good conscience guarding our testimony, knowing that any engagement, any involvement, we don't feel like we're sinning because we shouldn't. That is not, again, if we want to make a difference, we need to be different. You know, Jesus said that. He told his apostles as they, be, you know, this is before Jesus died on the cross, they were arguing, who's going to be the greatest and who's going to do this? And Jesus says, um, time out. Uh, the greatest among you, if you want to be the greatest, understand that the greatest must be the greatest servant. You're not going to be like the leaders that you know, that lord over people. No, that's not the kind of leaders I'm looking for. I'm looking for people not that take power from and, and dominate, but to take that power and leverage it for others. You got to be different if you need to make a difference. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. That's what the gospel, that's what Jesus does in us. The love of God changes our lives. And so he says that that's where the good conscience comes in. But also that good conscience is something that should lead us to then understand what to do. Because what Paul is trying to say is no matter what, and guys, listen, I, and I mean no matter who's in charge, regardless if you voted for the individual that is above you now, mayor, governor, whatever, whoever, let's say in our context here in America, <clears throat> whoever that person is, just because maybe you don't like their politics or you don't like their this or you don't like their that. Or maybe they're just, whoo, there's some messed up people. You know that we're still called to 
honor and love that person. Because listen, if they are messed up, then what do they need? Don't they need Christ? Last time I checked, I didn't see anybody give their life to Jesus because you cussed them out. Or, you know, like, you know, I didn't see anyone ever give their life to Jesus because you told them how, you know, just straight out, just, oh, you're the worst. Ah, you know, you know, you know, the antichrist. Believe in Christ. And I was like, I don't know. I've never seen that. How do we, as believers, how do we treat what we would look at as non-believers and sinners? Love. And so if you disagree with someone in like that, even more, you should pray for them. Not speak I'm going to wreck some of y'all. Not speak flippant about these people because Jesus loves them too. This is why I always, when it comes to politics, I always have this one phrase I say all the time. And this is a, this is a phrase I want my, all my people. All right, you, you, you hear, you want to be, call yourself, all right, remember the tabernacle I got you? You better memorize this phrase when it comes to this. Okay, Jesus always, Jesus died for the person on the other side of your opinion. Jesus died for the person on the other side of your opinion. The world, oh, you're, you're that side? All right, yo, about to catch some hands real quick. Like, let's go. Like, that's, that's what happens. Like, no, 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 you can have a disagreement. But you got to always remember Jesus died for the person of the other, on the other side of your opinion. Got to still love them. And if they're wrong, shine the light of Jesus. And if you're wrong, you better be hopeful that you didn't live a kind of way. I'm like, my bad. You know, my bad, Jesus. You know, kind of a thing. Let's just be real. So we are all called to respect our overseers. But it doesn't mean that we have to resist or respect their overreach. Two different things. We respect our overseers, but do you guys know according to scriptures, we are called to resist overreach. Meaning when government gets too big and government doesn't wanna just serve God and serve people, but when government ever wants to be God, now it's different. And they wanna play Holy Spirit and determine right and wrong and discernment and lead us into all truth. That's a different ballgame. And when you look at the context of everything, that is what we see. Again, Paul is trying to say, don't do nothing. No, do the right thing. The right thing is to respect our overseers, but also we are called to resist overreach. You guys know that there is a scripture, not only in the, we see this in the Old Testament, but in the New. That is how you know there's a truth that continues that we must care about. Not everything in the Old Testament still applies to us today. But when you see consistency, hey, that should let you know. And re- resisting government overreach is one. And it's always done, listen, in self-defense. You guys know that we have Old Testament and New Testament examples of this. Where you would have guys like uh, Moses. Right here you have Pharaoh and the, the abuse and all this stuff. And what did Moses do? Just let my people go. You know, they didn't go burn down this. They didn't go do that. He just said, let my people go. And God did the rest. God delivered his people. Right? And so you see that aspect of it. You see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were public servants, even Daniel, working for a wicked king, right? Or in this case, you know, someone that didn't believe in God. And, and what did they do? They worked and served for a wicked king and they did it faithfully. There was no one better than them. They were great employees. But when governments they said, all right, now worship me as God, they said, oh, buddy, hold on. Listen, I'll work for you. And I'll love you and I'll do what you need me to do. But if you, now that's too far. I'm not going to worship you as God. I serve only one God. Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. These other three get tossed in a big fire. God delivers them all. But see, that's examples. I even read in my personal Bible study, in my personal reading, I'm going through the Old Testament now. And in Chronicles, there was a king of Israel who went into the temple and he was going to go burn incense in the temple. And that was something that the priests did. 
That, that was, you know, because God had, and listen, king, you have this. Hope priests, you have this separation there. And as the king went in, because he was feeling all, you know, you, you know, God's been blessing me. God's been, you know what? I want to do this for him. And 80 priests stand up and said, king, stop. You can't do that. No, no, no. There, there's a line here. You cannot do that. You have gone too far. Those 80 priests stood up against the king of Israel and said, king, we love you. But no, no, you're going too far. Esther stood up and defied the king's orders. No one comes to see me. And Esther, on behalf of her people that were going to be about to be annihilated, defied the, the king's orders and went in to plead for her people. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we see example after example of that, of oh, overreach. No, no, no. We, we are called to correct that and stand and not just submit to overreach. No. Even in the new, the apostles were out there being beaten, in, uh, beaten and put in jail and their crime was telling people about Jesus. That's all they were doing. And they were beaten and they go and they tell, all right, you done? You, you had enough? Good. Listen, stop preaching about Jesus. You can do whatever you want, but stop preaching about Jesus. And Peter boldly stands in Acts chapter five. He says, with all due respect, with all due respect, we're going to obey God, not man, when it comes to that right there. You can't tell us not to tell people about Jesus. That's you're going. That is too far. Out of respect, but also to God. And so see, that, that, that's the important one that I want you to understand that we are, so, we are called to respect our overseers, love them, pray for them. But we must, we have a duty to God to also resist overreach. We see that in the scriptures. We see it in church history all the time. In fact, some would argue and some would say that America, the American Revolution was, was a sin because it defied the government. It resisted. And so we were born in sin because of that. But no, see, that's a little twist of, of, of too much because, see, for years, and I mean decades, decades, the founders were not trying to re overthrow you know, England, what they were doing was begging, saying, stop doing this. You know, you are forcing us to do the wrong thing. We don't want to do that. Do you guys know? This is facts. I, you know, you can go look it up. 11 out of the 13 original colonies actually abolished slavery before 1776. 11 out of the 13 abolished slavery in America before 1776. But the king of England would say, you are English subjects. You can't do that you will have slavery. And over and over again, that, those abuses, they were saying, we don't want this, bro. We don't want to do it. And, and by the way, every skirmish that happened in the ward, you guys know what, what they would say to them? It's like saying, do not shoot unless they shoot first. Do you guys know that even biblically, we have a right to self-defense? What's going to happen if somebody goes into your house tonight and wants to beat you and your family up and take all your money? Well, you know, I got to do the Jesus thing. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I can't have to sit here. I'm, you know, Jesus, you know, Jesus loves you and, and just do nothing. Oh, I'm going to put you on your neck. Okay. I was like, do you guys know that we have a right to look? That is self-defense. There is now to us, you know, to a degree. That is self-defense. That is okay. You know, thou shalt not murder is more that planned and plotting and scheming. But you trying to kill me, I'm mean like, oh, I guess today's my day. You know, or if somebody's going to come in to try to kill my wife, I'm like, well, okay, well, there it is. It's, it's your time today. I guess that's what God wanted. So go. Oh, my gosh. No, guys. And so we are called to resist that kind of an overreach by individuals and even governments, too. 
That's okay. That's okay. And the one thing that we are always caught, and this is, this is when you know, and we're like, all right, something's up here. Think of Egypt. Think of Moses. Got the perfect example of what overreach looks like, what eventually government overreach builds. What did, uh, what, are, what are the Egyptians known for? Their national monuments. What are they known for, guys? Egyptians, pyramids, right? Now, we know that pyramids are in every culture all around the world, but we know Egyptians for their pyramids. And see, that's what the system of the world does. That, that is what every time a godless society will always become a pyramid. All of the power isolated in a few at the top and the masses support and build that. That's what the world has always been doing. The Tower of Babel was a pyramid. Nimrod, as they were building at the very beginning, what were they doing? A pyramid. The Nimrod at the very beginning, when, when God had to step in, you know why he had to step in? Is because the people were not that many at the beginning. In the book of Genesis, you would have this guy, Nimrod, which was a warrior against God. This was somebody who defied God. And if I can give, a, you know, even the, the word, a warrior before the Lord is this. It's this fist of, I'm against you. By the way, I... I this, every, every time you see a movement that is always like this, it doesn't end pretty, all right? Because it's anger, nah. fight, resist, a negative way. This is never good when you see this. Just a warning, heads up. That was Nimrod fighting against God. And what does he do? Let's all build bricks. Nimrod was the first dictator, tyrant, tyrant of the world. He didn't let the people spread out and do what God said, fill the earth. Now he said, nah, I'm going to build my own kingdom and I'm going to build it with people. Pyramid systems and godless systems always don't have people make bricks. Because what did Pharaoh do? What did Pharaoh ask the Egyptian, the, the, the Israelites to do? Make what? Make bricks. Those kind of systems turn people into bricks and use them to build the world they want to see. God stepped in and messed with it. Because he said, oh, if, if right now, because they're all together, no one's ever going to stop them. Like, no one is going to undo this. So God went in and set everybody free. That's what that was. That's what the Tower of Babel was. And that's what Moses did. That's the same thing. And so we are called to resist those kind of pyramid schemes. By the way, even financial ones, a pyramid scheme, right? All the money's at the top and you, you, you build it off of people's backs. No, we are called to stand up against that overreach as well. It says, no, the kind of pyramid that God, that God's kingdom is not like a pyramid. It's an upside down one where the leaders, the few serve and uplift the many. That is what we are called an upside down kingdom. That is what we're called to do. And so that is when, so when we look at all these things, especially when we see so much wickedness guys in the world, remember Paul's word. He says, listen, you're going to see evil. Don't let the evil conquer you. Don't let that evil corrupt you. You conquer evil with only one thing. We conquer it with good. And we know that's what Jesus did. Jesus conquered the evil in this world. How? By his goodness, by who he is. And if, if we can take our cues from anyone, let's take it from Jesus. Did you guys think, think about this. Jesus entered into a world and lived in a Jewish community that was subject to Rome. That had hero worship, idol worship. Rome was, you know, Rome had its good and its bad. You know, Rome let the, let the Jews, you know, have a lot of autonomy. And, and they, they uh, listen, the Jews had a lot of rights that most in that time didn't compared to the nations that they conquered. 
They had a lot of rights. But, you know, they also were abused as well. And you see the Romans abuse so many other people. So what did Jesus do in, in when he was alive during one, a very oppressive form of God? What did he do? Did he ever organize a rally against Caesar? Did he ever, you know, go and, and, and go into the, the, the citadels and, and, and burn it down and, and, and march? Did he ever do that? Some people say, well, well, Jesus did flip some tables one time. And I've heard it said that because Jesus flipped the tables, that even a violent uprising is justified. So we can burn buildings and do this because look what Jesus did. Time out, my guy. Slow down. First off, Jesus didn't hurt anyone, number one. He drove everybody out. Yeah, he flipped some tables and kind of messed up their business. But remember, where did he do it? In the temple. He says, you have turned my father's house, which is meant to be a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. Jesus was driving people out of public, of private property. That was his house. That was his house that they had set up camping. Listen, you, if I go home today and I see some dude set up a, a, an Amazon business in my garage, I go home today in my house and there's some guy in my garage setting up a, a business. Do I not have the right to put him out on the street? Jesus had all the right in the world to kick everybody out of the temple because it was his house. It was private property. He had the right to do that. And he didn't hurt anybody at the same time. That's different. But what did Jesus do? He died on the cross. He let Rome kill him. Well, you know, the Jews do. He let, he let the government officials kill him and then rose from the dead, hung out with some people, ate some fish one time on the side, you know, at the beach for breakfast and took off. That's what he did. He left the system there. So much oppression and poor and poverty. Why? Because, see, we don't change the world from the top down. Christ changes the world from the inside out, from each person, one and in the soul. That's what matters because there's always going to be, in the same way there's always sinners, there's always going to be corrupt governments that have gone too far. But what do we do? What do we do? We conquer evil with good. I, I say, you know, when it, when it, and what, what's one good? Let me just say it this way. What's one good? I'll give you two ways. You pray and participate always. Pray and participate. Two things that we are called to do. Praying is this, meaning we pray because we don't want to go too far. We pray because we say, Lord, we, got, we invite God into the struggle. We invite God into the system. Lord, use us, guide us. May it be you and not us. May it be you and not our rage. May it be your wisdom and not our rage that leads us, God. And so to pray is important because we recognize that nothing can be accomplished without him. Praying is important. But we don't want to be those kind of people and like, you know, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. That's all you're going to get from me. We can't be those kind of just thoughts and prayers kind of a people and sit on the sideline. We pray, but we're also called to participate in ways that reflects Christ, the light. We are to participate. So whether that's participating in the process or standing up and saying, no, enough, this is too far. This is wrong. You know, I'll tell you right now, the only way, the one justified way that we are called to resist government, the righteous resistance is this. If, if government officials ever 
force us, or let me say it this way. When government ever tries to control who and how we worship, guys, we're called to resist that. We are called to resist that. Now here during COVID, we shut down for two months, not because the government told us to do that. We shut it down because we had to figure it out. We had to regroup and like, all right, who wants to come? Who doesn't? How are we going to figure this out? And once we did, we were back at it as quickly as we could. Even though some were saying we shouldn't do it, we shouldn't do it. It was like, all right, I understand. But we took every precaution possible. We're not doing this for our pride or for people's money. No, because we love people and the right thing. And this is the right thing. We are being safe where we're doing everything that we could. So that's why we went right at it as quickly as we could. And it's amazing how so many other churches, I mean, you guys know there were churches that were fined weekly in California by thousands of dollars because they would want to meet and keep doing. Listen, we are called to resist a government that wants to dictate who and how we worship. That is righteous resistance. And the other one is if the government ever forces us to do what is wrong. If they say, now you must do this. And if that this is a sin against God, no, we are called to not do that. Not to, oh, and I'll give you one more. When government ever abuses us, and I mean abuse, when they abuse their power and hurt people, we can say, that's enough. That's not right. That's not right. That is righteous resistance. And if we're going to go to jail, in essence, what he's saying here, if we are ever as believers going to go to jail, go for the right reason. Don't go because, oh, you, you know, passed the speed limit. You know, it's like, you know, that's what you did. Or you got carried away and you started looting or whatever. No, if you're going to go to jail, we go to jail because we defied, we honored God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all were punished over and over again. The apostles punished, but they didn't do anything wrong. They, all they did was say, no, I choose the Lord. God, I'm not trying to do anything wrong with you. All due respect. That's the kind of righteous resistance, the only kind. We are called to always pray and participate. Never remain silent or still in front of sin. Never remain silent or still in front of sin. Whether that is things that are forced upon us, a sin that is forced upon us or done to us. It's like an abusive person. If, if, if you have a husband or somebody that's abusing you, you don't have to submit to that. Same thing with a government that abuses you. You don't have to submit to that. You can just say, no, enough. And guys, I'm going to be real. We can't solve every problem. That's not the point. We can't solve every problem. We're not going to be able to solve or fix everything. We can't. It won't. But, and, and, and listen, just because you're, you're upset about one thing, don't be upset that someone else is not as upset as you about this. We are all called to play our part. God puts something in your heart and in your heart and in your heart. And we are all called to focus on what God has put in our hearts. We can't all fix everything. And you and I can't be involved in everything. What God puts in your heart, you go after that with all that you have. Because when it comes to us as believers, guys, I want you to know we always, always, as Christians, we, all, we must rise up always and reflect the one who is risen in all that we do. We always must rise up and reflect the one who is risen. That's it. In fact, there's a symbol that if I could, you know, think about praying or participating and how do we rise up? You know, this last week, if you've been seeing it on social media, like you've been seeing that big L that a lot of the, you know, Cuban protests has been using. The L stands for liberty. And that's all they're crying for is liberty. You know, this is it. But, you know, that, that L is talking to my kids. I'm like, well, that can also mean something else, right? It can mean life. I was like, yeah, you're right. That all they want to do is, like, I want to live. Now, that's, that's what the L is. I just want to live my life. Live my life without you having to do this and do me harm. I just want to live. I just want liberty. And then there was one more that Josiah was brought up, even love. 
right? Love. It's all out of love, not out of hatred that they're crying this out. But I even thought about that. I was like, this is very fitting for us. This is what it means to pray and participate. Pointing up. We pray to God and vertical relationship, horizontal relationship. Us as believers, this is how we're always called to live. Looking up to God, allowing the love of God to transform us and then horizontal relationships if we let that love reflect in everybody around us. That is how we are called to live, to pray, participate. Guys, that is how we must always rise up and reflect the one who has risen because listen, when we love those who hate us, even when we love those who harm us, we reflect a God who loved his enemies so much he laid down his life for them. When we do this, when we serve the needy, we are reflecting a God who satisfies our deepest needs. When we stand up for the hurting, we are reflecting a God who offers true hope and healing. And when we fight to promote or protect freedom from sinful dictators, we reflect a God who has won our ultimate freedom over sin and death. In all that we do, we must rise up and reflect the one who is risen. And we understand with what's ma- what matters most. Jesus said, what does it matter if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? Listen, this is not a, it's not a power grab here, guys. That's not, we have greater things to focus on. What is it if we gain a whole country, yet we lose our testimony in the process? What does it matter? In the end, the governments of this world, it's all temporary. But the kingdom that we can participate in, the kingdom that God invites everyone into, no matter who you are of what you've done, lasts forever. That is what we have something greater to live for. And the, listen, freedom in this world, freedom can be fought for and forfeited on this earth. But the liberty that we have over sin and death in Christ, it lasts forever and can never be lost. And it can never be taken away. And that gives us amazing hope as we see whether it's the struggle or pain in your life or the struggle that we see in the nation and this one or all around the world. Guys, we can have hope in the midst of all this pain and horror knowing that evil will not win in the end because evil has already been conquered by a good God on the cross and on the grave. Evil will not win. Our good God does. And so church, rise up Christians and reflect rise the one and who is reflect risen the one so that our good God can continue risen. not only to uh, conquer the, the evil in us, sure everybody walked away from in the end. conquer that evil out look there at this that one the world specific may area on how there we is interact and more deal to with live government for. because even in our politics and in, in civil government, there is a way that we are called not just to do, again, nothing, but to do the right thing. And what is the right thing? Reflect the one who is risen. Okay, we can't play the games that the world likes to play. You know, this is not a power grab. This is something that we want to make sure that we are not so caught up in the things of this world that we miss the most important things. Okay, because in the end, if everybody had a home and uh, freedom and food and a job, none of those things would save you. None of those things would allow you to spend an eternity with God. They're all great things. Trust me. I love those stuff. But let's just put first things first. And we make sure that we continue to reflect the one who has risen as the Lord redeems souls through us. And the more redeemed souls, well, the more you're going to see a a reformed society. But what matters always is souls. And so I want to challenge you guys. Do not let, do not let your heart be conquered by evil. Okay, that's the world, that's the way of the world. But rather,
conquer evil with good by reflecting a good God that has already conquered you. Okay, again, that's what the kind of revolutionaries that Jesus is talking about. Again, the way that the moon revolves around the sun, um, the, well, the earth and the way the earth revolves around the sun, we are called to revolve all things with Christ at the center so that others may continue to know and see there is no one like our God.